Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. This again. I hope everyone had a good Christmas. Hope everything went well. Hope your families were good and, and you got whatever you needed from Santa Claus. But I want to talk about family here today. And what I've learned probably in 2021, maybe I've learned this before, but what I've really learned in my life is that the more and more that people come, people also go from your life. And the ones that really stay, those are your family. Those are the ones that you can count on. Those are the ones that you can connect to. Uh, a few years ago, my mom did one of those like ancestry.com type things and she learned a little bit about our family. And so these are just some interesting facts about the Barnetts as a whole. We, are, we have ancestors that came from Scotland and they actually owned a castle, okay? Don't know about you, but none of you have owned a castle. I have, thank you, you're, you're welcome, all right? Uh, they came into Virginia and were very, very rich. Obviously that didn't get passed down to, to me. Uh, they actually fought in the Revolutionary War, which is, is good. They all, we also, as Barnetts or Aarons or whatever my mom is there, we, we, we have some Jewish origins as well. And so basically, if you look at kind of our lineage and where we come from, we're basically better than most of you in this room. And that's okay. It's okay. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to cry about it, but I know, I know it's tough on you. But as we finish up this season of Christmas and all the things that happen here, I want to talk about family. And I want to talk about what we see in the family of God and the fact that Jesus really does give us a really cool kind of shot of what he's all about. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to talk about the story of Jesus and why his story is so important for every single one of us. And if we do that, if you go to your, your, your Bible in Matthew 1, I'm going to pray for us today. God, I love you. And God, I thank you for today. Thank you for letting us gather here. God, help us just dive into your word and learn more about who you are. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. How many of you guys in this room, by a show of hands, how many of you guys are Christmas movie lovers? Who loves Christmas movies? Okay, yeah, there's clapping, didn't need that, okay? But, um, but I, 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 love, I love Christmas movies, just kidding, I don't, I hate them all. But um, I, I did wanna just check out in this room just to get kind of a, a, a poll on who we have in this room. So what I'm about to do is I'm gonna put some, I'm gonna put a movie up here on the screen, and if this is like your movie, you love this movie, I just need you to not be Baptist today and just give a little bit of uh, cheer out there, a little bit of joy, a little bit of noise. So Mindy, if you would, the first one is, who loves this A Wonderful Life? Let me hear you, let me hear you. Okay, great. Let's go to the second one. What about this one? Oh, wow. Okay, what about this next one? <laughs> okay. What about this next one? The altar is open. If you want to come down, that was a trick. We will do an altar call here in a second for you and your sinful people here. I'm not a big Christmas movie person, but I do love movies. I love watching movies. I love all these kind of things. And I love really, like I was thinking about one of my favorite movies. I, I, you know, some of you guys are so like, you're so intelligent. You have these really deep seated movies that are like, just they, they, they get like, for me, I'm a Batman guy. All right. That's, that's where I'm at. I, I sit with Batman. And so I was watching The Dark Knight and, and one of my favorite parts about that Dark Knight movie, if you've never seen it, is really the first scene. It kind of sets the hook for you. It shows you the, 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 the antagonist, the bad guy in this movie. It shows you it, like the Joker, he shows up and it, it like, it just kind of hooks you into to the movie and it kind of hooks you into what. Uh, the movie's going to be all about. It's really cool. Like maybe you have that kind of movie that really in that first scene, it just grabs you and it just connects you and you're into that movie. That's, 
Actually, in, in, in literature, in English, there's actually a, a term for that. They call it a literary hook. It's something that tries to grab the reader's attention right up front so that they stay for the rest of the movie. Again, maybe you have a movie like that. And, and songs, actually, some of the really catchy choruses, they're actually called hooks because they just kind of remind you. They, they get stuck in your head and you just think about them all of the time. And so if you could, in Matthew chapter 1, this is, this is crazy because... Really, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, the old promises and the new promises. And, and what you see here is from the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament to the book of Matthew, there's around 400 some odd years. And in that 400 years, there was a lot of silence. Like God didn't really speak to his people all that much. His people are actually in exile. They were, they were, in, they were in trouble. They weren't who they, God called them to be anymore. They, they were just, they were being punished for a lot of things. And God wasn't speaking and so we go to Matthew chapter 1, and as we jump into this, like, I, I'm, I'm wondering, after 400 years, what is that thing that God would want to tell his people? What is that thing that God would want to show his people? And we see it in, in the New Testament in Matthew 1, and it's really actually kind of weird. Um, it's not what I would do, but I'm not God. But he does do this, this kind of crazy thing. He gives a genealogy, and this is a really, like, extensive list. Like, if you're reading this, you're going to kind of gloss over a lot of those names. You're not going to know a lot of those names. You're going to know some of them. Some are familiar. But you're going to kind of gloss over them because it's just names. It's like the book of Chronicles. Some of you guys, when you get to that book of the Bible, you just kind of read over the names. I, I, I've done that. But there's something powerful here. And there's a reason why Matthew starts with this part right here. Again, the Bible is a story of God's love for his people in spite of his people most of the time. And, and he starts it here with this crazy thing. And, and here's what I'm going to say. I think he's trying to set the hook for the people that he's writing to. Matthew is a very, very Jewish heavy book. He's writing to Jewish readers. And so when they read this, unlike how you and I would read this, they read this with a different kind of meaning. And that's what I wanna talk about here today. He's grabbing the reader's attention in this first part. By the way, this is a passage that not a lot of preachers preach on. Uh, this is a very um, complex chapter, but it is really, really incredible. And so here's what I wanna do right up front. I'm gonna give you a quick equation. And I know no one came here for math, and some of you guys failed math, and that's okay. I did too. But I want to give you a quick equation. Here it is. It's going to be easy. It's 14 times 3 equals Jesus, okay? I gave up on math when they added in imaginary numbers because that's not even a real thing, all right? And so this doesn't make sense either until you really start reading into what this is about. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Is everyone good? Okay. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I'm going to read that again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? And the son of who? Those names are very, very important. Matthew setting the hook in this very first verse by telling us that Jesus is the very begotten son of God, but also the son of David and the son of Abraham. These two men, more than anyone else in all of the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, were the heroes of the faith. God told Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation, that he was going to multiply throughout the world, that the same, like you couldn't count the people that were going to come from Abraham that would descend from him. God would take a small shepherd boy that no one cared about, that everyone overlooked, and he said, I'm going to make you the king of the nation. God told David that he would have a kingdom forever. This isn't hyperbole, this is truth. Like, I'm going to make you a king forever. Your reign will rule forever. And if you look at the Old Testament, the prophets never referred to David in a past tense. They always talked about the future. So I want to give you a verse. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says this. Behold, the days are coming, 
declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. I love that first part, the days are coming. Matthew sets this whole thing up, chapter one, by saying the days that were coming are here today. That the thing that you've been looking for for years and years and years, the kingdom of Abraham, the kingdom of David, it's here today and it's through Jesus. Here's something very interesting about this, by the way. Verse 17, chapter one, verse 17. I'm not gonna read you all those verses, all those names, because I can't even pronounce them. But verse 17 says it like this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. Everyone say 14. It's incredibly important. We're 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. A lot of 14 here. There's, there's a reason there. Numbers are incredibly important. Actually, the Hebrews, when they would write, they would use this, this phrase, this, this kind of writing called gematria. And the idea behind gematria is that they would assign letters a numeric value. So I want you to think about like Romans would do this, right? So the number, uh, the letter X would equal what? 10, right? The letter five, or, or five would equal what? Good, because I couldn't remember that one, so I'm glad you said that, yeah. I think you're right. Um, that, that's, that's how that would work. Same thing with the Hebrews, how they would write this. And so I'm gonna, just in the way you translate it, let's go to the, the phrase David here. David's four. So again, Hebrews didn't use a lot of vowels. So D equals four. V equals six. D equals four. How many of you guys love math? Yeah, I don't. I don't at all, okay. So here's what we're gonna do, though. We're gonna add this up together. Four plus six is what? 10 plus four is what? How many generations do they say? 14. He's saying from the David's divinity, from David's line, 14 generations. You take David's letters, like Matthew's being very clever in how he's writing this out there. And the Hebrew people that would be reading this right now, they would connect to that quickly. They would connect and say, wait a second. They would see that and say, okay, he's trying to say something here. What he's trying to say is that Jesus is the greater David, that Jesus is the King David that was to come that's gonna set up the rule and the reign forevermore. I know that's kind of like, it messes with your mind a little bit, but he's talking about this a lot. Matthew would emphasize and repeat this three times to the Jewish group of people to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, that Jesus is again the greater David. By the way, in Matthew chapter one, David is the 14th name listed in the genealogy, just to keep wrapping it up, that hey, David is, Jesus is this new David. He's the one that you should be looking for. So Matthew's setting the hook, and he gets the, the readers on the edge of their seat in the first verse, but he actually adds another element to all of this. So if that wasn't enough for the Jewish writers to look at and say, wait a second, so you're telling me that David, the King David that we believe in, the King David that we believe was gonna rule everything even though we're in captivity, that king, you're saying that this Jesus now? Not only is that the hook, but he's actually adding a little bit more to this as well. Because he's gonna talk about the family. He's gonna bring out the genealogy and who's in the family of God. And if you read Matthew chapter one, you read all these verses, some of these people in this story, you, you wouldn't claim them as your own family. You wouldn't want them to be your family. I mean, if you think about David's story, David was a, he was a bad man in some places, right? He did bad things. If I was writing out the genealogy of my life, I would clean up some names as well. I wouldn't want everyone to see all of these people, but that's not what he does. He actually tells some pretty important stories here by their name. And so if you don't mind, over the next couple of minutes, we're just gonna read through a couple of names here and talk about their stories. 
So, so here's the first one. If you're just reading through these, I'm just going to pick some random ones out. Here's one of them. It's Judah and Tamar. Judah and Tamar. This is a crazy story. But this is the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus came from this family, Judah and Tamar. Basically, Judah is the dad. He has three sons, and he arranges for his son to marry a lady named Tamar. Well, if you figure, figure this out, the oldest son that she married was pretty worthless, and he actually ended up dying. And in that history, in that, in that culture, what would happen is that the, the lady, she would have to go to the next in line, the next brother. And so she married the next brother. Guess what? The brother died. And then she goes to the next brother because of the culture, and that brother died as well. And Judah didn't have any more sons. That was it. And so Judah looks at Tamar and says, hey, Tamar, here's the deal. You're not going to get anything here. Here's what you need to do. Why don't you just go home, go find a place, and you just you go do your thing. Like, this, we're not going to work this out together. We're not going to be family anymore. The story goes that Tamar, she goes home. She puts her widow's clothes on. She goes home. But in that culture, again, uh, just a tough culture for, for women, in that culture, because she didn't have someone to take care of her because she didn't have a husband. She had to resort to something that was pretty, pretty bad. She had to resort to prostitution. And the story tells us that she became a prostitute and, and it's just crazy. And as we keep going, Judah, his wife, the, the dad, his wife dies. And Judah just distraught and kind of messed up. He goes and walks into the village and he sees a prostitute on the side of the road. He walks up to the prostitute they exchange pleasantries, whatever you want to call it. And Tamar gets pregnant. Prostitute was Tamar, daughter. He didn't know that. And as he goes in the story, Judah wants to kill her because he didn't want to be shamed. But in the last moment, Tamar reveals to Judah that she's actually his daughter. This is a really messy situation, right? This is really messed up. We, we have some jacked up stuff here. But you know what's crazy? This is who Jesus came from. This mess is who Jesus came from. Think about your own life. And, and it's easy to say, well, at least I'm not that. But think about your own life. Think about those things that have embarrassed you in your life. Think about those things that people have said about you in your life. Would, would you really say that Jesus came from that line? Really? But, and, and this is messy. This is the Bible. And the Bible's not always clean, right? Go to the next story. Rahab. Everyone good? Rahab's story is pretty crazy. She's a prostitute in the town of Jericho. A lot of prostitutes in this story. The town of Jericho is an evil, evil city. And God's people were going to overthrow it. Joshua, the leader of God's people, sent two spies into Jericho to scout out the land. They landed in the house of Rahab, who was, again, a prostitute. And people started to notice the two guys and found out that they were spies. The army of Jericho went to find them, to kill them, but Rahab hides them away and diverts them. The spies are safe. They get back to Israel, the Israelites, and the Israelites actually conquer Jericho. But they always, but the story tells us they spare Rahab, the prostitute's life, because of her faithfulness. And you know what's crazy? Because of her faithfulness, she's added into the line of Jesus, into the genealogy of Christ. So here's part of the hook here. I'm not trying to be weird here, but in the line of Jesus, we do have prostitutes. In the line of Jesus, we do have people who are broken. It's not easy. Let's keep going. We'll go to the next one. David and Uriah's wife. We can, we say, it, we can say it as 
David and um, Bathsheba. King David's supposed to be off at war, but he's home in one night, he's hanging out in his room, and he looks out, <laughs> he looks out and he sees a, a young lady taking a bath out in, the, out in her yard. Just help your brother out and bring that inside if you can next time, all right? Um, David, David falls in love with her, David goes, it's Uriah's wife, David goes and sleeps with her, uh, Uriah's wife gets pregnant, and as you know the story, this is David, King David, you know the story, David calls for Uriah to go to the front of the war. Uriah gets killed so he doesn't have to look bad in front of everyone else. David is a murderer. David uses power to abuse a woman. This young lady as well, he did what she shouldn't have done. It's broken. It's not right. This is for the person in the room that, you know, you had your life planned out. You knew where you were going. You knew what the perfect scenario was going to look like, and it didn't happen. And so you feel worthless. You feel exploited. You feel like you don't have a place in the family of God. But if you, if you look at this, David and Uriah's wife are right there in the middle of the story of God. Crazy, but they're there. To understand the hook, we have to know that in the family of God, there are those who are abused, who are exploited, and God still brings them in. Let's go to the next one. Ruth. This is in the genealogy. Matthew chapter 1. Her story's crazy. Ruth is a Moabite. And I won't get into all the details about that, but the Moabites were, were, they were born from a man named Lot. They're not good people. They're really kind of disgraceful people. How, I don't, how to describe them in not a, a horrific way would be um, if you fell in love with your cousin. All right, that's, that's what I would say the Moabites were. That's how, that's how, they, that's how they were. They were. They were looked down upon by everybody. They, no, one, no one liked them. If they were walking by you, you would cross the street. These are, these are broken, disgusting people. They were despised people. But in this story, there's a lady named Naomi, and she has some sons, and one of them marries Ruth, and he passes away, and he dies, and so the other brother, and so do all the other brothers, so she's left alone with just Naomi. Naomi says, hey, just go back, go back to being a Moabite, go back, you don't need to be a part of this, just, just leave, go, go back to your family, and Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you, wherever you go, I will go. Whoever your God is, that will be my God. I'm going to follow you no matter what. She marries a guy named Boaz and becomes a part of God's family. So to understand the hook here in this story that Matthew's trying to tell all of the Jewish people and trying to tell us today is that even if you feel like you're an outsider, God invites you into the family. This is the story of God's people. And you can keep going. There's uh, In the story, it gives a guy named Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most evil kings in all of the history of Israel. And yet Manasseh is added into the story of God. So really, the hook there is for all of us in this room, for all of us in here today that feel like we're broken, in the family, in the genealogy of God, you're going to see evil people. You're going to see addicts. You're going to see harlots. You're going to see hookers. But what that does for all of us today is that it means that there's hope for you and for me. I want to go to this verse right here, and, and we're going to finish it up. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. After all the genealogy is put together, he says this. This, this family, Judah and Tamar, Ruth, the Moabites, David, this family, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. This is how he was brought into this. 
So most of the time, I think we get in this room and we think, okay, and I know so many of you guys, we come into worship, and sometimes, like in the first one or two songs, we have to sit there and just repent. God, forgive me for what I did. God, forgive me for all the things I did this week. God, forgive me, because we don't want to get to God's presence because we're scared that he's angry at us. We're scared that he doesn't like us. We're scared that he's, he's done with us. But this story, the genealogy of Christ, reminds us of this truth right here, that you can't clean yourself up enough for God. You don't have it inside of yourself. And let me just tell you, I can get up here and give you three steps to get better at your life and try to make yourself better. And if you pray harder, life is gonna get better. But the truth of the matter is this, you can't fix yourself. It only comes through Jesus. Yes, I believe that you can try to get better a couple times, but always in the end, if it's up to you, you will fail. It has to be up to Jesus and his grace and his strength in your own life. These verses give us a a, a glimpse of who Jesus is, that the son of God was born into a family of people who weren't wealthy or affluent or had the right genes. He was born in a family of people who were broken, who didn't have it together, who didn't know what they were doing. They were bad people, adulterers, hookers, idol worshipers, dirty people, people full of anxiety, people who were murderers, people who didn't care about anyone else but themselves, people who came from broken homes, people who came from places that no one would go to. Those are the people in Jesus' life. And what that says to us is that if they were broken and you're broken, God still says, come into the family because it's still open. The door's still wide open. You're a prodigal. It doesn't matter. There's still room for you. I know you've screwed up, but there's still room for you. He's telling us in the story that you're loved, that there's no sin in your past, that that cross right over there can ever, ever be destroyed by. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can do to outmaneuver God's love for you. You want forgiveness? You want God? Go to him. Or maybe even more theologically correct, let him come to you. There's nothing you've done that can scare or intimidate God. There's nothing you've done that God's like, oh wait, I'm not gonna mess with that. That's not who he is. And we can get, I love, everyone say I love you, Matt. You are Judah. I'm Judah. You are Ruth. You are Manasseh. You are those broken places, even if you don't feel like you are. You are those people. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus chose them to be in his family. I believe today he's choosing some of you to be in his family as well. No religion in all of the world, no religion in all of the world tells of a God who runs towards the sin, except for our religion. We have a Jesus that went to a cross for you and for me. These verses should give us hope that he could have been born any other way he wanted to, but he was born into this family. He could have been born into a royal, holy line, but no, he was born into a group of people who were broken. And what that says to us is that he's not scared of your brokenness. He's not scared of your anxiety. He has a better way for you. The Christmas story, again, is never a story about parades and eggnog and lights and things like that. This Christmas story is a story of God who came near to you and is still near to you today. That when you don't feel like he is, he's still near to you today. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that he, he's calling for us to grasp and reach out to him, though he's not far from any of us. Maybe like me, this year's beat you up. 
Maybe like me this year has made you feel like you didn't have anything left. Maybe you're like me and you're just waiting for that calendar to turn to January 1. Can I, can I just be honest? Nothing's changing. January 1's not gonna be any different than today if you keep doing what you've always been doing. There's nothing new about a calendar. It doesn't matter. Maybe today you're on the edge of giving it all up. Here's the only thing I know today is that I can have hope in an unknown future because I have a very real known God in my life. And I, I, don't, I don't know where you're at, but let's finish this year strong. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about any of that stuff. I, I just know that I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Here in a second, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to come and know who he is. But for the rest of us in this room that have been here, for the rest of us in this room that have been at this church for years and years and years, and God's just that thing that you do on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, it's whatever for you. For those people, let's finish this year strong. Let's not live off the fumes of faith from when we're at Fall Street or when we're at camp in our youth. Let's live off the, the belief that God's here today. That, that Bible that has all of those words in it, those words still have some meaning to me here today. That it actually can still change me. And what I've learned more and more over the course of these last couple months is that Jesus shows me that when the disciples, when they failed, when Peter went and walked on the water and he fell into the water, you know what Peter didn't do? He didn't get into the boat and say, God, I can't deal with you anymore. God, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna talk to you. No, you know what the Bible tells us he did? He got on his knees and he started worshiping. When Paul was in the middle of jail, scared to death about what could happen, he could have died quickly. The Bible tells us at midnight they were still worshiping and the chains broke loose on them. Let's, let's have that kind of faith. Let's finish that kind of strong. So here's, I'm not trying to, I love you, Pat, I love you for that, thank you. But I'm not trying to hype you up, but what I want you to know is today, whatever the thing that's holding you back, whatever the thing that makes you feel like you can't go forward, whatever the thing that's scaring you into the future, here's what I'm asking you. All across this room, let's stand up and let's put our mind onto that thing. And then let's give that thing to God today. Because the best time for you to worship is not when you have it together, not when you have it all figured out, but when you know that all you have is God in your life, when all you can do is God's presence. Let's give him some worship today. Worship through the pain. Worship through the addiction. These are words. This is a declaration of faith today. Let's give it to him. walking in your own strength. This year you've been like, I, I, you've been doing it all on your own. And, and here's, here's the truth of the gospel. It's, it's not on you anymore. When he got up on the cross, he said, it is finished. That was the finishing of you trying to make yourself right with God. And I know, I know, it's time to go to lunch, I get that. But why don't we have church just for now? 
Why don't we believe that the family of God together can heal together? That here, here's, the, here's the biggest truth in all of the gospel. You can't fix yourself, and so you have to rely on him alone. And so today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Maybe, maybe for the first time, you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to know who he is. Here, here's what I'm asking you to do. All across the room, let's, let's just kind of close our eyes and bow our heads. If you want to know who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel is that he went to the cross to die for you, a penalty that you could never have paid yourself, and he was raised on the third day. When he was raised, he brought back the keys, death and life. He owns it all. And that if you would just believe in him today, if you would just give your faith to him, if you would just say, God, I can't do it anymore, it's yours. If you would do that today, you'd be saved. It's all across this room. I'm just going to pray this prayer. You can pray it after me, whatever you want to do. But I want you to believe in Jesus today. Move from death to life. Here's the prayer. Father God, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would heal me. I pray you give me a new start today. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you were raised from the dead. And I believe you're the Lord of my life. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, all I'm going to ask you is just slip up a hand. Is everyone in the room that slip? Just slip up a hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just slip up a hand. And for the rest of us in this room, here's what I also want us to do. I, I don't know what you guys got planned. And if you need to leave, go ahead. It's, it's fine. But, but here's what I want to do. Let's pour in. Let's press it all across this room. I know we're Baptists. But I want to sing that one more time, Cavs. Let's lift up our hands together at the end of 2021, a year that has beaten us up. Let's give him our fears. Let's give him our doubts. Let's give to him what we're afraid of. He's the source. He's the author. He's the I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.